Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times, said in a happy voice. My name's Kevin. I'm your host. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, here's a quick primer. Each week, we have a kind and generous guest who comes on to talk about stories from their life when they were sad, upset, angry, when they were dealing with things that they didn't understand, when they... Uh, We're around people uh, who saw them going through pain and how those people reacted. And uh, the goal here is not to diagnose the problem, solve the problem, or even judge the problem. It's simply to let the guest tell his or her story in the hopes that somebody out there listening will find something that helps them feel less alone. So that's what Sad Times is. Please, the whole goal of this show is, is to allow people to come on, as we said, But we would love for people to hear these stories. So if you know somebody who you feel could really benefit from hearing uh, one of these stories, please share the podcast with them. Uh, And if you are a regular listener, thank you so much. But continue to please tell anyone you think would benefit from the show. We do have a website. It is www.sadtimespodcast.com. And on that, not only are there um, all of the episodes and, and things of that nature, there's also a form that you can fill out to be a guest. And today's guest is actually somebody who reached out through that form. If you do reach out, we will reach out to you and kind of let you know how it all works. The main rule is that the guest decides 100% of what we speak about on sad times. So before we get to that guest, we do, of course, have a sponsor because I don't know how the hell these lights would stay on if we didn't. Let's get to that sponsor. Um, I know just you can all sit through it, folks. It's just very quick. Uh, It is today's sponsor is the musical director on the Netflix reality show Love is Blind. When my cynicism with the marriage industrial complex is just about to push me over the edge and I turn off this unbelievably terrible reality show, thus taking my eyes off of Netflix, the music director of Love is Blind hits a G chord when someone is talking about that time that they were sad at a Baskin Robbins as a child. And I keep watching. Thanks, music director. All right. As always, we do want you to support our sponsors. Please use the code F-A-K-E, F-A-K-E at checkout. All right. Enough of the ads. Let's get to today's guest. His name is Andy. Andy, how's it going, man? I'm okay. How are you today? Ah, man, I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. Not too bad. I was just commenting before we came on the air that you've got that cool Northwestern t-shirt on. Which, of course, is just north of the city here, north of Chicago. Um, and, and I believe you wore that for Brent and I, because we're in the I Chicago did, area. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I did. My brother went to Northwestern, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And uh, I I got up there once. I, I wish I could have gotten up there more. But uh, some good times up in Evanston and... Yeah, we also have my wife has some family up in Wilmette as well. So, oh, okay, we like Chicago, right on. So, do you guys get get out here too much, other than when you visited your brother? We don't. Um, we are not uh, well off enough to come uh, with all the family and everything. And but uh, my wife's family comes out here quite often, so we're pretty lucky in that my brother doesn't live up there anymore uh, which is fortunate for us that he lives closer but unfortunate that we don't get to go see him Mm. in evanston because that place is awesome it is it is a uh it is cool and it is literally 
the first, I mean, it's Chicago ends, Evanston begins. Uh, and when you say here, where is here? I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, uh, wow. My brother that lived in Evanston now lives in a town called Logan, Utah, which is where Utah State University is, which is our agricultural school. Oh. And uh, it's, it's almost as cold as Chicago in the winter. Uh, but, hey, uh, uh, I don't know if we have a, like a, uh, what's what I want, monopoly on that, but... Um, that then that if it's almost as cold, it's probably colder at times, and that's cold. That is cold yeah. and annoying, is what that is. And it, well, I've been to Salt Lake City a few times. It is yeah. beautiful out there, man. First time I went there, I just everywhere I was just kind of walking around, and I was just looking, and everywhere I turned was just beautiful mountain ranges. It seemed to me, and um, and did you grow up in that area as well? I did. Um. And as I get older, I find that those mountains are really where I want to be. I, I live in the city. I live six miles from our downtown area, um, the Salt Lake Valley. I, I address my envelope Salt Lake, even though I live in a, in a township called Mill Creek. Mm -hmm. um, but the Salt Lake Valley is pretty, pretty large, uh, and it's... It's just suburbs. It's just, just crappy suburbs. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> but then again, I do live like three miles west of the mountains. Um, you had said before we got online that you'd been to Park City. Yeah. If you go over the mountains from where I live, just to the east, you'll hit Park City. So, oh, okay. Um, okay. So uh, I, I spent a lot of time up in the mountains as a kid and I've, I tried, uh, during 2020, 2021 to be up there multiple times a week, but we've just gotten too busy and I haven't been able to get up as often as I want. Are you a big skier? I skied growing up. Um, if you live in the right neighborhood in Salt Lake as a child, skiing can be a part of your elementary school experience really uh, what do you it's like at did, school yeah we we did ski school every friday in elementary school we'd go for half a day up to one of the resorts and take ski lessons and it was definitely like uh i'm, I'm sure we'll get into this but it was definitely an affluent thing like huh. uh like my wife went to elementary school here in the Valley as well. And their, their school did not do that mm. uh, because they were not far enough East. Um, the East side of this Valley is definitely the affluent side Interesting. where I grew up now, so, but yeah, I grew up skiing and, you know, ski uh, season passes were really cheap when I was a kid. Uh huh. If you were in school, you could get a season pass for like a hundred bucks, which is currently wow. cheaper than the day pass that you can get as an adult, which is why I don't ski anymore. Yeah, that's, that's a good answer. I don't ski anymore because one time I went skiing, uh, I fell down the hill and then, uh, I was on the lift and I was the one that they had to stop the lift for because I couldn't figure out how the hell to ski off of it because I'm very smart. Brent, that's not that funny. That's just get it together, man. Jesus Christ. This is a serious podcast, Brent. Come on. 
I'm sorry about that, Andy. Um, so that's why I don't ski. Um, but you're from the area, and uh, I think a lot of people, when they hear Salt Lake City, they hear Utah. Uh, obviously, they think of, of um, you know, the religion, and uh, it's a very religious place, often associated with Mormons. Did you grow up in a religious family? I did. Um, so I was actually, I was adopted uh, at oh, birth. Okay. Um, and my parents that adopted me, uh, whenever I talk about my adoption, anytime I say just my parents, I mean the ones that adopted me, um, are, were at the time, still are, uh, Mormon is what most people would call it, but, uh, the church likes to be referred to as LDS, Latter-day Saint, because, mm-hmm. um, Mormon was a guy and not the church. It's a weird semantics. Is it, is it just called um, that because it's the Book of Mormon? Is that why people right, refer? Okay, right. gotcha. Um, but so they uh, they are LDS. I did grow up in the church. I do still have some personal beliefs that I share with the church i have am on the records of the church um what does that mean on the record uh, like you're baptized right right gotcha. i was baptized when i was eight um and th- there's a big thing right now within the last 10 years or so of people who are making it a very public point to go take their name off of the records of the church to get oh. their their records removed, um, whether it be for political reasons because they don't agree with the politics of the church, whether it be for personal reasons uh, they don't have a faith in what the church believes in or not, whatever. Um, I have some differing beliefs with the politics of most members in this church, but I don't find those to be a strong enough reason to take my name out. Sure. Um, okay. I, I guess it would be similar to Catholics that don't ever take their name out of the Catholic records, but just maybe don't go to th- gatherings. Yeah. They don't go much. to right. And it, and it's right. not, uh, I'm glad that y- y- I think you did a really nice job of framing that there. I mean, um, no matter what, you know, we're, we're, we're all raised, not all, uh, a lot of us are raised, uh, by parents who are really trying to do the best that they, you know, the best for us. Uh, and they put us in, in, um, situations that they think will help us. And I think when you and I were talking beforehand, you talked, um, uh, I believe you used the phrase, um, kind of. Utah Mormonism for dummies, I believe, is 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 kind of how you refer to it. What what yeah. how in that joking tone, like what does that what does that mean to okay. you? What is Utah Mormonism for dummies? Um, Utah Mormonism versus like like you had mentioned, you grew up near or knew some Mormon people in Illinois or whatever. Uh. Mormons in Utah 
take it to a different level, I guess would be the best way to say it. Okay. Um, This is where I have a differing, like a struggle is that I find that I can separate the gospel per se, the doctrine Mm -hmm. from the people. Okay. Um, The people take it weird places. Like, like when, when you hear that Mormons can't drink caffeine, like it never said that anywhere. There's, there's no doctrine anywhere that says that it's the culture itself came up with that and pushed that. And it became uh, a thing is that something that's uh, taught St- it, it like if you go to um i don't sunday school for lack of a better term is it something that's taught that's like what we call it too by the way oh it is okay um, yeah uh no it, it it's not taught in church uh which is which is the thing it's it's not taught in sunday school but you go to your weird uncle's house on vacation and they don't have any coke and if you bring one into the house, you get in trouble, you know, um, or you that go to weird like, uncle. or you go to like, uh, what other Christians would call like Bible camp. And like, you, if you show up with a Coke or an energy drink, like you get weird looks. Um, I think the other driving factor in the caffeine issue is, we have, I'm sure most listeners and yourself included have heard of Brigham Young University. Of course. BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in Provo, Utah. And if you go to Provo, the closer you get to campus, the less likely you are to find any beverage with caffeine in it. And then you get on campus and you go to the concessions, you go to the food court or whatever, or the cafeteria or whatever you call it in college. There's soda fountains, but it's all caffeine-free Coke, caffeine-free Mountain Dew. It's all caffeine-free. And I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think that pushes a weird thing of like, oh, well, the church-owned school doesn't have caffeine on campus. That must mean there's something to that. Yeah, it's like an endorsement of that idea, even though it's not, as right. you say, in any of the doctrines. And and that's a that's a very lighthearted way of explaining the issue. Uh, you get more into it, and it's like the dating world is very weird. Um, you don't go on one-on-one dates. Uh, it's all group dates. It's all hanging out. And a lot of that goes into like nothing good happens after dark kind of idea of like, we need to be in a group. So nobody gets tempted. You know, when you say group dates, do you mean like, um, for couples or they're like parents involved? No, no parents. Okay. But like multiple couples, like, um, and I, I don't even know what it's like outside of Utah, but like in high school, you go to these dances and you go as a group, you know, um, you get like four, five, six couples to go to the dance as a group. Um, and that's how it is in college too, which is really weird because it's like, we're supposed to be dating and getting to know, you know, our prospective uh, person 
how am I going to do that with four other people? Yeah, in with the room? Steve over there. How am I going to do yeah, it with Steve yeah. sitting there always chewing with his mouth open? Sorry, Steve. So, and, and like, again, it's still kind of a simple explanation, but like, that's the culture here is like, let's take, let's take these random things that somebody once said about maybe caffeine is a mind, mind altering substance. We probably shouldn't have that ever. And if you have it, you're a bad person. Maybe being alone with a member of the opposite sex after dark is difficult to avoid temptation. So let's never do it ever. Um, mm. And, you know, to bring it around, I, there's a lot of this weird, weird culture that ties into everyday life into um, your job, into your school, into your emotional health, into, you know, even just like, just dumb, dumb things that don't matter. And if you go outside of Utah, well, if you go outside of Utah or Idaho, um, it's, it's not that way, you know? It, it, well, right. So we have the, the example, obviously the caffeine and the dating, but is it kind of the way that, are you kind of talking about kind of the general uh, way that people kind of are expected to act and live and, and right. so tell me more about that. What do, what do you mean? Like what is kind of expected on a day to day? If I were to come in uh, and maybe I, I was having a bad day, how, how, how would I be expected to act in, in this culture that you're talking about? Um, you know, like my personal perception of it, um, is that like there's there's kind of an expectation of like you need to be uh count your blessings is a big term that is used and i'm sure it's in other christianity as well mm -hmm. you need to count your blessings you need to look at the silver linings and things um if you're having a bad day maybe uh, maybe just get over it and let's, let's talk about the good things that have happened, which, which is not necessarily bad. Uh, it's, it's not bad advice mm -hmm. to find your bright spot, I, I guess, but I feel like the, the way that it is used in our culture here is, to a fault of maybe just push it down deep inside and don't think about it. When you say push it down, so like, did you know people growing up who had, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, and then it, it just wasn't something that even like it wasn't spoken about, or if it was brought up, it was your faith should take care of that, or um, right, you, you're not thinking about it the right way. It's that that type of thing. Right. Um, I think I am sure there are people in other faiths that have experienced the, like, if you're sad, if you're depressed, you, you should pray about it. You should um, ask God for patience or strength or whatever, which is fine. Um, but it, it's 
definitely a, a thing that I, I remember people who would talk, you know, it, about, I was having a really hard day and these things were happening, but then I remembered how blessed I am and th things like that. And like, I, I think I should be clear that I don't find anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's great if you can find your bright spot and benefit from that. If you can see the silver linings and use that to strengthen your patience. Um, but the problem that I see in my own life and in other people's life is like you best if I knew people that maybe uh, hid their depression or whatever. Um, there's a girl I went to school with starting like we called it playgroup. I don't know what it's called. It's pre preschool. It was like all the moms sent us to a, a different mom's house every day. Uh, basically like pre uh, what daycare was like a mover, movable 90s. daycare. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Ernest Hemingway. Um, a I've known piece. this girl. Yeah. I've known this girl since daycare. I still interact with her every now and again now. So it's been 36 years that mm -hmm. I've known this, this girl. Um, and I had no idea that their family dealt with, you know, depression, anxiety, whatever, until her older brother killed himself. Uh, we oh, were God. in middle school and he was in high school and he overdosed on her depression medication. Oh, and that was, that was the first suicide that I knew about. Uh, like obviously in middle school, I knew suicide was a thing. I had heard the word. I didn't, it didn't affect me. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this family lived six or seven houses up the street from me. We, our entire school system, our elementary school, middle school and high school in our neighborhood all had multiple weeks of, if you knew the family and you need to talk, come talk to the counselors like it that was offered it, it yeah okay it hit our community that hard wow um which i guess says something good about the community that we were raised in but like i didn't know what any of that meant i didn't know i didn't even know they were struggling with that kind of stuff because we all hid all that crap you know nobody talked about it and even when you were a kid, and, was it was it implied that you hide it, or was it explicit? Like you don't talk about that, um, you know, when you're out in public. I don't even know. Like I was so young, I didn't, I didn't know like what it meant, you know. And then as I got older, um, I think. As I mentioned before, I grew up in a very affluent neighborhood, in a very affluent home. I don't think any of us really realized we were struggling. Okay. I, I've been thinking a lot about this because I've been stressing about how to say these things the way that I want to. And I, I'm realizing now, I don't think I knew I had anxiety growing up 
we all thought I was just shy. And so, you know, me not wanting to present something in a school assembly was Andy's just shy. Yeah. When really I'm like freaking out and crying because I can't imagine myself going on that stage and saying anything in front of people, you know. Were you able to uh, articulate at any point? I know you said you didn't really know that you had anxiety, and I'm sorry to cut you off. Were, were you able to articulate that at any point, even just to say, I don't want to go up there or anything like that? Or was it just more reticence until you didn't do it, and, and then everybody you know, chalked it up to you being shy? The second option. Um, I... I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was 24. Um, I was in college at a community college and couldn't bring myself to even go to the classroom. Um, I was, it was a, the, the, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm struggling over my words. Um, no, no worries. The class that I had a hard time with, I was never enrolled full time in college because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, so I would work part time and I would take two or three classes at a time. And the class that I had a, a really hard time with was a business ethics class. And the teacher, I didn't like the teacher and I was having a really hard time with communicating. And so I would go to the school, you know, I, I, I was an adult, so I'd get myself to the school and I'd, I would start walking to class and my heart would start racing and I'd start getting like a knot in my, my throat or whatever. And I would walk right past that classroom and go across the street. There was a bar that me and my friends would go to. Um, and you know, at the time, young LDS boy, it was not a place that I probably should have been according to the culture, but I would go over there and hang out instead of going to class because something was wrong and I couldn't figure it out. And after a couple of weeks, I finally, like, I remember I had a breakdown. Um, I still lived at home. That's, that's a thing in Utah is we all, don't usually move out right away after high school like everybody else does because it's Utah. It's a weird thing. Is um, it that you don't really move out until you, you have found a spouse? Is that kind of the direction that's going or no? College or spouse. College or spouse. Um, or if you're lucky, so, both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I didn't, I moved out on my 25th birthday. Um, okay. But at the time I think I must've been 20, 23 or 24. And I walked in to where my mom was and with my, you know, chin trembling and breathing fast. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Cause this had never happened to me before. I, but things were getting worse. I was having a hard time going to class and, you know, it, I was just like, this is, this is not normal. And I had my first real 
genuine panic attack. Like my, my spells of being shy as a child were usually ended with me enforcing that I was not going to do whatever thing they were trying to force me to. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that I'm an adult, I can't do that. I can't, I can't avoid college. I can't avoid work. So now I'm forced to do the thing. And so now I'm having a panic attack and you know, my mom was really, really cool about it. There was no stigma. She, she wasn't like trying to make me hide things or anything, but like, uh, I think our current culture of let's talk about your problems. Let's, you know, it's normal to have anxiety. There's a podcast that I'm going to go on about anxiety. Like that's, that wasn't a thing, you know, 13, 14 years ago when all this was happening, it was like, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to figure out what's wrong with me. And then I'm going to go back to school and pretend like nothing's wrong. When you had that panic attack in front of your mom, when, you know, you were, you were already, it sounds like basically on the precipice of it when you walked in there to talk to her and you said she was great about it. Was she just really accepting of it? Were you able to even articulate the anxiety you were feeling or did you just kind of uh, cry and, and break down. I remember her asking me what was wrong and me telling her nothing was wrong. And that was what was wrong. Mm. And then I broke down and cried. Um, my mom is like, uh, the most nurturing, wonderful mother. Um, she has her own issues that, uh, I'm sure we can discuss, but when it comes to her children, like this is what she was born to do. She came over and, you know, I'm 24 years old. I'm a grown man. And I sat in her lap and cried. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, growing up from probably 12 years old until I was 25 and moved out i had a really difficult relationship with my mom when it came to behavior but now i go over every sunday and i try and make a good 20 30 minutes of our visit where it's just me and my mom in a room talking and commiserating um so when it comes to the depression and anxiety i i know we talked a lot when we spoke on the phone about like my dad not understanding, but my mom gets it. Your mom and gets my it. Mom, she doesn't know how to help because she is from that generation that there was no option. You just sucked it up and dealt with it. And but it, she gets it. And so she will sit and hold me if I need it, which, which is, is what I need. Often what helps, right? It's right. Uh, and you said what? What when you said from like twelve to twenty five, was it an uh, there was was it an issue on your end? Like you were lashing out, or what? What do you mean with the difficulties between you and your mom? I also have been diagnosed with ADD. Um, okay, I think that combined with the anxiety made things really hard. Um, we also I I mentioned this in an email, but I. I think that it's probably valid to bring up our culture in utah also puts a lot of stock into your academic performance your uh 
it, everything that that ties into. Uh, once you get out of school, what do you do professionally? Once you are settled professionally, how are you as a family person? You know, that kind of how it appears to other people. And my ADD mixed with my anxiety made it very hard for me in school. Uh, when we were kids, I, I know you're a couple of years older than me, but when we were kids, they didn't really have programs for kids that needed alternative learning options that were as easily attainable. Um, I know they existed. I know Montessori schools have been around forever, and I know there are other schools out there, but nobody really knew about it. Mm -hmm. And so sticking me in public school meant once I got into middle school, I started getting D's. I started, you know, having a hard time because. And how did that go over at home? It's, it's terrible. Uh, my older brother, um, straight A student, the first grade that he got that was not an A was in a ballroom dance class in college. <laughs> he got a B and he got a B because he had started dating somebody and decided that missing a couple of ballroom dance classes was not going to be a big deal. This brother also now is a professor in college, got his PhD at Northwestern, is very successful. So coming up behind him, mm -hmm. it was like, why the hell did you get a B in English? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Because I've got problems, man. You know, like, um, so it, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. My dad is, uh, was, is now retired as a banker, um, very intelligent, very successful. Um, and so he also could not necessarily understand why one of his children would be struggling in school. Um, my mom, um, I mentioned a second ago, she had a few issues herself. She was the oldest child of five children. Um, and she was brought up to let her siblings win at everything. Let her siblings be correct. All that kind of stuff. Like you're the oldest, you, you let your, your younger sibling win this game. Why or, didn't anybody teach that to my sister? I'm just I know, curious. Right? That would have helped. Um, and so then when she became parent, if, if we're having an argument, mom is correct no matter what, because she's the mom, she's right. This, I, I should state, this is my diagnosis that I came up with in high school when I was like, why the hell is my mom not acknowledging things that, you know, maybe I'm correct about. And so this is something that I kind of analyzed of stories she told me and things she talked about from her memories as a child. And I kind of, you know, put one and two together and came out with four and think that she, she had some anger issues with me because she 
needed to have that control. If that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a perceptive, <clears throat> excuse me, a perceptive read on that, of course. And especially that's, it's an odd, it, cause it also sounds like not only was she the oldest sibling, but she was also uh, a de facto parent in, in a weird way. Right. Um, so, but by the time you moved out, you know, at 25, you guys kind of were able to, especially when you had the, the difficult panic attack in front of her, you guys were able to, you guys had a stronger bond. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and I definitely, um, I would say the amount of arguing between my mom and me from the time I was 25 until now I'm 30, I'll be 38 in a couple of months has gone down by 99%. I don't remember the last time I had an argument with my mom. Uh, my dad is a different story. Uh, we do still rely on him for a few things. He's our landlord. Um, he's oh. helped us with some, some loans and things like that. And so there is still some relationship with him that is rocky, um, because it goes deeper than just you're my dad. You are also my banker and my landlord and my legal advisor. And so um, that one's difficult uh, still. Um, and as far as the anxiety, the depression, all that kind of stuff, my dad is difficult as well because I think um, we still live in a culture where men can't acknowledge that they're sad or that they're anxious. It still uh, the culture you came up in, it's still not really acceptable to, right. To be a man and, and then say that. So have you tried to express to your dad that you're that, you know, in the past that you're anxious or that you're struggling and that it's, it's not that you're shy. It's that you have anxiety. Yeah. Um, I remember early on one conversation where he told me, to paraphrase, he basically just said, well, you just need to buck up and try harder, basically. I don't remember the exact wording he used, but it was something to that effect. Um, it was basically get over it. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't like quote the Eagles song, did he? Uh, which one? Uh, get over it. That was their single when they got back together uh, in the oh, mid nineties. Um, I just barely started getting into the Eagles, so that uh, yeah, don't worry, you can miss that one. Head. It's it's okay to miss that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my dad, things have changed. I'm I'm not going to say they've gotten better, but they have evolved from get over it to things will get better. Just keep trying. Um, which I don't think is a bad mentality. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Christianity is all about patience and, uh, and enduring to the end is a big common theme, especially in Mormonism. Uh, but I think the problem there is he still says it in 
in a way that implies that it's your fault or you're not trying hard enough. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Not necessarily that it's my fault. Maybe, maybe more so ignore the problem and just keep pushing. Ah, so don't address the underlying problem. Um, the, the, the goal here is to make the problem go away or excuse me, to make the feeling or the anxiety go away, not to solve the problem. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think this is a thing that I've been thinking about today as well. Um, I think to bring it back around to kind of the culture here, I'm a person that I, I feel like I, I'm in good company here. We're both similar in the way that um, I don't want to bring the com- bring down the the happiness of the company that I'm in, but I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm having a hard day. Um, I think there's something to be said about uh, if you can admit that you have a problem, maybe you can fix it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I often, if you ask me how my day is, I'll, with a smile, I'll, I'll try and be happy, but with a smile, I'll say, oh, it's terrible. How's yours? That throws people off, doesn't on. it? Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's a hard thing in this culture because we're supposed to be happy all the time. Everything's supposed to be wonderful and exciting and enthusiastic. Um, and you know, it, it made, it made my single life and my, uh, my friend relationships a little bit hard. Um, but I've been doing it for a long time, you know? Wait, I'm sorry. Why did it make your single life and your friend relationships difficult? What What do you mean by that? Um, interacting with other people in the community, in the um, friend groups, whatever, was difficult in that I think there are people who would prefer that you push your problems away and avoid them. Um Do you find that, do you find that, um, now as you're more open, I mean, you're, you've come on the show to talk about this stuff and, and share your story. Do you find as you're more open and, you know, you were talking, you know, 13 years ago, et cetera, that, you know, things were different. Do you find that in groups of friends now you can be more honest about your struggles or even with your family? Yeah. Uh, more so with friends, uh, I, I definitely think times have changed enough. Um, and I think that uh, you find, I, I hate to use this terminology, but you find the other weirdos, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I only hate to use that because it, it's so related to a lot of types of people that I don't necessarily want to find um <laughs> but like you know i i just started a new job in may and i found that i can interact with certain people on my team better than others because we all kind of admit yeah today sucks i'm depressed 
let's get to work. We can laugh about how much today sucks together. That's awesome. And and they all came up in the same culture that you're talking about too, with the always has to right. be positive. So it's almost as if your generation is in a small extent breaking through that a little bit. Would you say that's fair or is that too premature yeah. to say? I I do think that's fair. Um I also think there is an aspect of uh, politics to it, unfortunately. Uh, I, I think the more progressive you get in, in this community, in this culture, the more okay it is to be uh, not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, th- I'm going to use Dodgeball, the movie, as an explanation for this. (laughs) Okay, that sounds good. If you are less, if you're more conservative um, anywhere, really, but especially in a community that's very faith-based and very religious and Christian, you are Globo Gym, where (laughs) everything's got to look awesome and happy and excited and if you're a little bit more pr- progressive, you're not okay. I'm not okay, and that's okay. You're average Joe's. We are we are the average Joe's gym, and I like it that way. I really do, um, because like you, it's not. There's not as much pressure uh, to be perfect, to be happy, to be uh, cookie cutter. And, you know, you can still be okay and have fun. And and you're being honest, it sounds like, um, you're being honest to your authentic self and you're not, um, you're not hiding it anymore or, nor are you, um, acting as if it's not even existing. Right. Um, but I think with like friends and dating and stuff, uh, you know, when I was t- 23 to 24, I started going outside of groups of friends from the church and going to bars and going to parties and things like that. And I still saw a lot of the same behavior. Um, but I think that was also when like Facebook was coming up and Instagram. And I think a lot of people were trying to do the whole doing it for the gram thing. Of like, we gotta, we gotta take this cool picture of us at the bar together, having fun and being happy. And so it was still difficult, even when I got out of the church group, you know? Um, And I think the other half of that was, I was too anxious to talk to anybody, but. um, Were you anxious because you were afraid you were going to say the wrong thing? Or you didn't think anybody wanted to hear what you had to say, or maybe a combination of both or something else? Combination of both and also low self-esteem, I think. Um, I don't know. It, I, I'm Growing up, in the culture I grew up in, it was weird to be 24 and not married. And so going to a 
bar of all places as a 24 year old LDS boy trying to meet people, girls especially, I was like, okay, this is weird. I'm the weird one. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like I'm the attractive one in the room. I don't know if I'm going to say the wrong things. So like add all of the things together. And it was like, I, I don't know how to interact with these people with anybody. Cause like I'm anxious. I'm at the time. I didn't realize that maybe I was depressed. Uh, I'm also fighting against the counterculture by being a part of the main culture, uh, being an LDS person going into a bar to interact with people, you know, like, yeah, sounds like the beginning add of all joke, of these almost. things together. And like, and I, I straddled the line for a really long time of being, you know, going to church and trying to interact with those people. And then going to the bars on Friday and Saturday night and trying to interact with those people. And so on Sundays, I was not good enough for those people. And on Friday and Saturday nights, I was too like religious for those people. Um, mm. And I think that caused a lot of anxiety of like, instead of just going into it and just saying, you know what, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Let's talk. I went into it already expecting to be handicapped uh, by my lifestyle, by my anxiety, whatever. Um, the good news is I did end up meeting and somehow winning over a, a girl who's now my wife. Oh. Um she had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and for some reason decided I looked like a person she wanted to hang out with, uh, which I still don't understand. <laughs> and we, uh, I think our anxieties meshed in a way that it was like uh, parts of a puzzle that needed to be put together in, in order to uh, function. And do you, do you feel too now um, that with with her uh, as your spouse uh, that you now have somebody that you can lean on, can be fully transparent with when you are having your struggles? You you, you talked sure. about anxiety, of course, and then you know depression. Do you feel like you guys have a healthy conversation around those topics? I do. Um, we. You know, we have our moments where we disagree or we miscommunicate, but like we've been married for nine years and we've never had a fight that didn't get addressed and fixed within a couple of hours. We've always slept in the same bed. There's never been a doghouse or a couch situation. Um, there are other aspects of life that have arisen children, jobs, debt, all of those things that make it so that there are times when one or both of us can't necessarily be emotionally all the way available for the other person. Mm -hmm. 
which there's nothing wrong with that. There's been times where I've told her, you know, I'm struggling with this thing. And she said, I understand. I can't help you with that right now. I'm struggling with this thing. And that's fine, you know, but we, we've been able to be there for each other in ways that have been beneficial for each other's respective anxieties and issues. And uh, I definitely think we found the right teammate in each other. That's great. Um, she definitely, my parents are absolutely smitten and in love with her. And so when I'm struggling to talk to them, she's the one that's like, I understand. I will say what needs to be said. They'll listen to me. It'll be fine. Um, which is awesome. Because uh, it works every time. Um, but it definitely, it. I feel like in all of this darkness, um, she definitely is that bright spot. She is that anchor, you know, to be cliche. Um, well, cliches are, are there for a reason, right? They're usually true. Um, right. Yeah. And have you, uh, other than her, and that's wonderful that you have that, have you tried therapy at all? Is that, is that I been have. an avenue you've gone down? I've done it a couple of times. I believe in it. Um, I think it's good. I think it's positive. The first therapist I ever saw was in high school. My mom sent me to him because she thought I had a porn addiction and he was, uh, he specialized in porn addiction. Um, Oh, you know, every, every high schooler in our generation that suddenly had the internet looked at something. Um, so I'm not going to say she didn't have good reason to think that maybe that was a problem. Um, I did not have a porn addiction, but he, we sat and talked a lot. I went to him quite a bit in high school. Um, and it usually ended up being discussing how to interact with my parents uh, because he realized I didn't really have a porn addiction. Okay. Um, so it was a. It turned out to be a very positive, uh, right. Experience for you. Right. He's he was awesome. I love talking to that guy. I I wish that I could. I ought to see if he's still in business. Um, I he was a he was not a psychiatrist. So there was no, let's see if medication can help you. It was more just, let's talk out your feelings. You lay on this wonderful plush leather couch and we can talk, you know, yeah. um, I have tried a number of therapists in my, uh, recent years, two or three, I couldn't afford because our, uh, healthcare system sucks. Uh, my what? copay was like a <laughs> my copay yeah. was like hundred and fifty bucks. If you'll if you'll um, allow me, Andy, uh, Wade, uh, Brent, if we could hit the insurance fuck somebody <laughs> bell. Thank you. There we go. Hey, health insurance, we're here except for when you need us. Okay, 
So you uh, <laughs> go ahead. So 150 bucks. That's a lot of. That's a lot of money. Uh, so the most recent experience I had, I just started a new job. Great company. Um, great insurance in relativity. Um, and they have their own medical and mental health clinic on site that is free to employees. That's um, awesome. Which so far has been, you know, pretty, pretty decent. The therapy on the other hand, um, I met with her three or four times in those uh, you know, the first two visits are let's get to know you, obviously. And then the following two, we started to delve into some of the issues. And the final visit, she insisted on there were two different options that she was giving me for like solutions to some of these problems I was having. There were only two solutions. And I proceeded to explain to her that I had already tried those two things multiple times and they weren't working. What else can I do? And she essentially told me that she felt as if I was putting up brick walls and didn't want her help. So we should explore me seeing somebody else. And, uh, and she basically said so, that because she said, uh, try, uh, thing a or thing b and you said i've tried both and she said well you're putting up a brick wall right okay right mm -hmm. um to her defense i don't know how much she's making being an on on call therapist for a corporate entity i, I don't know what the background is if she's doing this as like volunteer work or whatever but it felt rough she kept saying like you know i'm not quitting on you i'm here for you you tell me what we need to do but maybe you should try the other therapist on staff uh which i have not done yet i did meet him in person today ironically oh wow okay um, i don't know if you're aware but today is national mental health day uh and our company made a really big deal of that and had our mental health professionals on site today in the lunchroom. Well, um, I tell you what, I, I knew that my brain was tingling for a reason. Yeah. So I did meet him. I do intend on seeing him. I ran into the other doctor out as I was walking back to my building and she awkwardly said hello and then tried to, get away pretty quick. I think she felt real weird meeting me in person mm -hmm. because so uh, all of our visits were virtual. Um, but I do another thing that I've been looking at uh, is I don't know if I can talk about this. If, if you're cool with me talking about medication on, Oh, of course, of course on the podcast, please, um, the FDA has approved a medication. I don't fully understand the science behind okay. this. It is related to, I think it's one of those things like how there's a THC and then there's like Delta 9 THC where it's like one molecule different. And so it's legal or whatever. Uh -huh. I think in that vein, there's a medication the FDA has approved 
now called Spravata, which is very closely linked to ketamine. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And ketamine is now being researched for depression and anxiety. And I'm at a point with these things where I feel like I need to try something different. I need to try something new. I've not been medicated um, since I was 24. When I had that anxiety attack with my mom, I did start medication for my anxiety and I didn't like it. They put me on Zoloft and it, it gave me, it made me depressed really. Um, yeah. And, and I, sorry to interrupt you, Andy. I, I, no, I, I just good. wanted to say that um, I, I had Zoloft prescribed to me as well. Uh, it definitely did not work, but this, this is a good time to say that it, the first medication you know, it's 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 always worth going back. At least in my experience, I've had to try multiple medications to get the one uh, for me that worked. So it, I'm glad to hear that you, that you're looking into trying something else. If you feel you do need the help, that's great. Right. So um, I guess there's a blood test you can do where they test to see what medications your body will react to now. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been meaning to get that. I just don't really have a lot of time which is also adding to the anxiety of the depression is there's no time when you can't afford to pay the bills and so you have to both parents have to work full time and all that um but i've been meaning to do that because i do um i do think that it's something that i want to explore um something else i haven't mentioned during this interview that i did mention in our our discussion on the phone was I also have some autoimmune disorders, uh, Hashimoto's disease, hypothyroidism. Both of those are thyroid issues. Um, and thyroid disorders often result in fatigue, uh, low metabolism, things like that. Um, my thyroid issues are under control as the doctor says, but I'm still fatigued. And so now they're saying, well, maybe you need to talk to a therapist and see if you have depression, which is why I am looking at depression medicine now, because yeah. I, I've, I, I'm exhausted all the time. And, um, you know, I, the, the anxiety is one thing, but, um, I, I look back on my 20s, my 30s, my teenage years, and I've always been really tired, which is could go into the thyroid thing. But um, I, I told you this when I talked to you last week, um, and I, I still find this to be something that I'm grateful for, but I've, n I've never felt a suicidal thought in my life. Um which is why I didn't think I had depression. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, well, one, I'm very glad to hear that you have not had those thoughts. And two, it's the absolutism that, that sometimes, uh, you know, well, it must, if, if I'm not thinking about hurting myself, I must not be depressed. So I, you know, right. and then, and then maybe we uh, lapse back into what, Oh, buck up and all that good stuff. Right. So, you know, I've been sad and I, I believe like 
there there's kind of that discussion, especially online now that everything's online, of like you're not depressed, you're just sad. You're not OCD, you just like things a certain way. You're not this, you know, there there is a level clinically that you need to be at to be depressed or whatever. And like I th- I think there is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. But grow, you know, in my younger years, I always figured, you know, I'm just sad. I'm not depressed. I'm just sad. I'm just having a hard day. I am just having, you know, a hard week or whatever. Um, but that kind of stopped probably a year ago. Um, and you mean you're you're identifying day, it as just having a bad day stopped about a year ago, and you've. Yeah. seen it as more of an, yeah. a, a long-term issue because that bad day has been that bad 365 days uh don't forget about leap years andy yeah that's that's a, a chance to have uh next year will be that's one more bad day you get to have cheers at first i thought i was just tired and stressed because i've got two children well, my oldest is in uh, in school now. He's in elementary school. He started last year, uh, last September. Um, and my youngest started daycare last October. He was six months, four months. I don't know. Um, so they started getting sick because they're suddenly right. around all these other kids. And so we stopped sleeping because the kids are sick and um so was i just tired because the baby didn't sleep all night and i'm on day three of not sleeping for all night long and having to go to work each day i don't think so because that's been uh, every other week now since like last october both kids have been sick um, and I should be used to this by now, right? I should be used to the anxiety of it, is my kid's school going to call and tell me to come get him? Mm. Um, and it got real hard in the wintertime. I think I got some of that seasonal affective sure. disorder thing. Um, and I joke about this and I, uh, but like, I found a lot of solace in listening to really sad country music. (laughs) Uh, I love sad music, man. Yeah, I think, and I, I enjoy it. Like I, I like a lot of different genres, but like I started getting into like really sad, uh, Coulter wall and Charlie Crockett. Yeah. I love Coulter wall. I don't know if you've heard of Vincent Neil Emerson. Uh, I don't he's, know that I have. He's toured with Coulter Wall and amazing voice, amazing musician, but he's got some of the saddest. Like I go back and listen now and it puts me right back in that mood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like every day, every single day for the last year, I'm just like, Maybe, maybe it is depression. Maybe I am, maybe, maybe I do need to go to that doctor and see if they can give me something, uh, to deal with this. And 
is that why I've been tired my whole life? Is that why I've been, you know, like it's all starting to click. Right. You know, uh, and you know, as you're at that point now, you know, you reached out again, we're, I was very, uh, pleased that you were able to come on and, and tell this story, but you're, it sounds like to me, you know, as we're wrapping up here, that it sounds like you have gotten to a point. Nothing is solved, nor will it maybe ever be solved. But you're starting to understand um, a, a little bit more. You're, you, it sounds like you're becoming a little more accepting of the troubles that you have, and and now you're working on uh, a new way to to address that. And, and I think that's a really positive thing. Right. Yeah. Um, it is difficult. Like, I don't have any answers yet. As you said, I don't have any real, I don't have any good coping methods right now. Um, I try to be physically active. Part of my, uh, autoimmune disorder treatment involves good nutrition and good exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, if I'm sad and tired, I don't want to go for a run. Sure. Well, know? yeah, I mean, that's that's the catch-22 of all catch-22s, right? But I've started um, actually just within the last week or two, um, especially since listening to your interview with uh, the guest that is into marathons and stuff. John. Um, I started running with my dog in the afternoon. Oh, that's awesome. Um which has been really good. She also has anxiety, by the way. Does she take uh, uh, anything for it? She's on Prozac. Hey! She's been on Prozac for about two years. Um, and, like, I gotta... She's She's been a struggle, for sure, because I'm like, I got a dog, and she's also broken. <laughs> Yay! Um, but it's been really good, the last couple of like the last week I go on like a 20 minute run with her after work and I'm not running the whole time. Like I'm no pro Kevin Crispin marathon runner. Uh, uh, nope, <laughs> not a thing, but, uh, but I'll go and I do like walk, run drills with her and we'll, we'll run for two minutes and then walk for two minutes. And then, you know, and it's been it's been kind of kind of nice, very cathartic. And at the end of the run, she comes over and tries to rub up into me and lick my face. And um, so that's been kind of nice. But um, I guess my whole reason for coming on is just like I'm I'm hoping that there's somebody out there that can relate in a way that they can see like it how, how do i want to say this i feel like as another guest of yours who i was listening to earlier today about social anxiety was talking about i feel like in this large community that i grew up in i feel more alone in the large community than i do when i'm alone Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that there's someone out there that maybe is feeling that way can see that they're not. Andy, that is, that's the, you basically said the whole mission statement of, of what we try to do at sad times right there. 
Um, I think that's a wonderful thing to end on. Also, hearing that you are doing the run, the walk run with the dog, and that dog is loving it because they're probably, uh, she is probably getting some some relief from her anxiety. That makes me so happy uh, to hear that. And you know, as we are wrapping up, is there anything else that you would like to impart? I mean, I I think that was perfect. But is there anything else that maybe you didn't get to say that that maybe you wanted to share before we wrap up? Not, not necessarily. Like, I don't, I don't have any good advice for anybody. I don't have any quick fixes or solutions, but I do think there's a good positive, uh, thing to be said about what you're doing, about trying to bring people together. And, um, if there's anybody that is hearing this, that feels a connection in the struggle with a family or the struggle with community or Christianity or whatever. Like, like if, if you want to reach out, like I, I don't see any problem talking about it and commiserating at the very least, you know, misery loves company. Mm-hmm. Um, and bounce ideas off of each other or whatever. And, um, yeah. And you've already been pretty active in the, the sad times, um, Facebook page and they can definitely find you there. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been in there a little bit. Um, one of my coping mechanisms has been listening to audiobooks. So if anybody wants to communicate with me there about what you're reading and, uh, Maybe we can talk about that. That'd be rad. Um, but yeah, like, I guess just, I guess my biggest coping mechanism is community. Even though I've talked a lot about how community has been difficult, I think building a new community of people who can relate and who can help each other, um, we're, we're all in this together. And we, we all can help each other in some way or another. And if I can help, I want to, and if somebody else can help, please help me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, (laughs) and uh, Andy, by the way, is, um, uh, Brent, just write this down. Andy's now the new co-host of the show because he's saying it better than I ever did. So um, uh, about reaching out and we're all in this together. And that's right. And Andy, you know, you didn't have to reach out to us. You didn't have to come on here and tell your story. And we're so appreciative that you did. Um, and uh, I'm so happy to hear that that you seem to be at a, at a really good spot. Uh, and, and hopefully some good things are, are coming ahead for you. And, 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 and as you mentioned, you know, we have that sad times Facebook group. If you search that, uh, sad times in Facebook, uh, you'll find us there where the, well, if you see the logo of our podcast, that's what's on the, on the page. So Andy, thank you so much, my friend for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kevin. I, I also appreciate it. Um, this has been great. Good. I'm glad to hear it, man. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll talk more books and, and such in the coming days. And um, 
Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, to everybody else who's listening, I'll, I'll try to end it the same way I always do, um, which is just a reminder that there's always room for kindness and grace. Uh, even with yourself, I forget it constantly. Um, and I try to remind myself that there is always room for kindness and grace. And we will see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.